0: All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 138 today. We're going to be talking about star myths uh, from around the world with David Matheson, and uh, you can check out David's work and website down below. I have the links, um, and uh, we're going to get into it. He's got a nice slideshow presentation for us, and uh, welcome on the show.
1: Great. Thanks, Mike and Maurice. Thanks for having me on, and it's great to meet you both.
0: Yeah, it's great Same to meet to you. you too. Um read a couple of your books like I mentioned when I sent you uh, a message reaching out, uh your Star Myths of the World, the probably your most popular one I would imagine, and then also The Corollary.
1: Yeah, actually probably my uh probably the book that has sold the most is The Undying Stars, oh, okay. which uh came out after I wrote a book called The Matheson Corollary. Um in 2011 and then the undying stars came out in i think 2013 2014 and that was the first one where i really was beginning to see that not only was there a connection between ancient myths from other cultures around the world and the stars but that the bible (laughs) the stories in the bible are all based on that same system so Mm -hmm. they're all actually connected so when i wrote the uh, matheson corollary I was still at the phase of my life where I was taking the Bible literally, but I was seeing connections between the Greek myths or other myths from other cultures and the stars. But kind of between that first book and my second book, 2014 uh, Undying Stars, I had this major, had to really wrestle with the overwhelming evidence that I was finding that the Bible stories are also based on the stars. So uh, that's probably my most... Uh, still one of my most popular books. But since then I've written seven or eight other ones. So, um, yeah, we can get into all that stuff, but uh, but basically the the research is mostly into the connection between the myths and the stars and basically the overwhelming, undeniable evidence that all the world's myths are based on this system of celestial metaphor that underlies the stories of the Bible, the ancient, Greek myths, the myths of ancient Egypt, ancient India, and all around the world, the Americas, the Pacific islands, Australia, Africa, um, which is really it's it's astonishing evidence that stands alongside all this other evidence that's archaeological that shows there was almost certainly something more to ancient history than what we're being told. There was almost certainly, some culture that predates ancient Egypt predates ancient Mesopotamia because the very earliest Mesopotamian texts and the various earliest ancient Egyptian myths are using this system. So it was already fully developed before those most ancient civilizations or ancient India or ancient China came onto the scene. So where did it come from? It probably came from something much earlier. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, and your most recent one was... um myth and trauma, correct? I mean, that came out, what, this year, the beginning of this year?
1: Right, just in April, towards the end of April. So, um, yeah, so we can talk about that too and, and get into it. But really, the evidence is overwhelming that the myths are based on the stars. Then the question comes in, okay, well, why? What are they trying to do? Right. And we can argue about that. But one of the things that these myths focus on. Over the years, I've wrestled with that question because, like I said, I was taking the Bible literally. I thought these were stories about literal men and women, a literal Moses, a literal Jesus and the 12 disciples, a literal Adam and Eve. And um, that gave a lot of meaning to my life, as it does to a lot of people, Mm. because these these stories are very powerful stories, and they have, I would argue, a very positive message. Now there's a there's a large um, kind of, I don't know, if you want to say conspiracy um, kind of meme or approach that says, oh, they're all this, just there to enslave you. This is just the kind of the brotherhood of Saturn to, uh, to enslave humanity and get us to mine for gold for the Anunnaki or something. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but that's that's one way to go down it.
1: But actually, um, in Myth and Trauma, I address that kind of head-on. I argue, you know, is this positive or is it negative? And I would argue that you can see very clear evidence that these ancient stories, including all the stories in the Bible, are there for positive, uplifting, beneficial purposes. They're conveying a message that each one of us needs even today in this modern world that we're going through, these are, they're they're given like a precious treasure to our ancestors of every culture. They were given to every culture on earth to help men and women, but they've been twisted. Their message has been twisted. So yes, they, they definitely have been used for negative purposes as well and continue to be used for negative purposes. But I can point to evidence that their original intent is, healing from trauma, but they've been used to inflict trauma. And their original intent is to help us recover something that we've lost, some contact with our own self that is at the heart of most of our problems as we go through life. And the myths are pointing us towards how to overcome that, but they've actually been twisted in a way to inflict trauma. So myth and trauma delves into that subject.
0: Okay. And the, the basis of your work, though, is the idea that the knowledge of these um, stars and constellations were, were put, you know, the mythology was built off that and laid the foundation for the later civilizations where they actually went through and depicted them in reliefs and uh, megalithic structures and things like that.
1: Yeah, so that's a great, great uh, way of phrasing and i'm not sure that i would you know let me just poke around the edges of it a little bit of what you just said because i'm not so sure that the later civilizations necessarily so where did it come from i can point to overwhelming evidence that the myths are based on a celestial system that's worldwide Mm. and that it's very ancient that predates ancient egypt that predates ancient china that predates ancient india predates ancient Sumer. So where did it come from? Some even more ancient civilization. And, and as you know, you know Robert Schock and John Anthony West, when they argued that, hey, the Sphinx must be much older than the conventional paradigm is saying, they were roundly attacked and asked, okay, where's your evidence? You know, where's your, where's your pottery shards that right. shows the existence of something even older Where's than Where is your pottery shards
0: from 36,000 years ago?
1: <laughs> right. And they said, well, we don't know yet, but someone had to find the first dinosaur bones too, right. you know. Robert Shock, you know, likes to use that metaphor. And then Göbekli Tepe was found, which Göbekli Tepe is more ancient to the ancient Egyptians than the ancient Egyptians are to us, right? The right. Ancient dynastic Egypt is like 4,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago. Gobekli Tepe is like 10,000 or 10,500 or that's, even more. Like, yeah, so 11,600. Yeah, so for them, for the ancient Egyptians of 4,000 BC, it was like 6,000, 7,000 years before them, which is more millennia before them than they are before us
0: yeah that's why you hear about like uh zeptepi the first time in ancient egypt and then you have um obviously you know there's there's pre-civilizations and you got the king's list too which also go back a lot farther than the recorded version that we all know so
1: right so so to answer your question of um i think the way you phrased it was this was also incorporated by the ancient civilizations. What I, what I think we see is evidence that some ancient worldwide system existed. We don't really know exactly who created it or where it came from, mm-hmm. but there was probably some kind of a cataclysm or some kind of a break to where uh, either the planet was bombarded by solar radiation, or maybe there was a comet strike, the Younger Dryas impact theory, you know, these different possible cataclysm explanations. I'm agnostic as to what it was. I say, you know, there's pretty much clear evidence that something happened to break this continuity, and then the civilizations, even the most ancient civilizations that we know, sprang up, and they had memories of this system. Mm -hmm. Now, how much memory of the system they had is a good question we don't know because we don't we don't we can't really examine the original system all we can examine are these broken pieces if you will that are retained by all the different cultures on our planet so how much of that ancient system survived i think different aspects of it may have been remembered by different cultures and different cultures may have remembered or emphasized certain aspects of it. This culture might have preserved these parts, another culture might have preserved other parts, of, but you can see that it's all part of some connectivity, some worldwide system. So, uh, anyway, the way you asked the question was you know, did this inform the ancient civilizations? Certainly it did, but how much was lost, we don't really know. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. I think some, I think some, some, of this ancient wisdom was retained, and then after that, you had some people going around and stamping out that ancient wisdom. So that today we have even less of it than they had during the times of ancient Egypt or ancient Australia. You know, there's somebody going around trying to actually stamp this out. So that's another part of the story. Hopefully, I, that gives kind of an idea of what I think sure. is going on.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I agree. I think there's obviously records of that when you have, you know, the um, colonizers going to Easter Island and destroying all the Rongo Rongo. And then you've got, uh, you know, the Spanish coming in and destroying all the codices from mm-hmm. Mesoamerica, you know, a lot of ancient wisdom. A lot of, we've had Tom Lane on the podcast before talking about all the entheogenic stuff that was probably lost to in association with sacred mushroom rituals and things of that nature. So, um, yeah. I think you're right on the money with that. And um, do you want to start the slideshow here? I mean, I think we're on the yeah, first let's, one here. Yeah, let's,
1: let's go ahead and jump right in. So I just, the first slide was just if you wanted to ask, you know, yeah. about me, if you have any questions about how I came to this. But I, I think we've already kind of covered a little bit of the, a little bit of the background. Like I said, I was taking the Bible literally, mm-hmm. uh, but now. I am convinced just by the overwhelming amount of evidence, and now I've, like I said, filled basically 10 books, and not thin books, (laughs) kind of thick books, with evidence showing that the myths of the world are based on the stars pretty much beyond doubt. I did have a podcaster one time who said, yeah, but you can't prove any of this. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, I I, I can't prove any of this. Today, if he asked me that again, I would say, you know what? the evidence is extremely compelling. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the evidence is pretty much overwhelming, but everybody can judge that for themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, academics and skeptics, they want that imperial, uh, you know, the empirical version or hypothesis where you can lay out and it's, it's easily visible to even the layman on these topics. And I think that's what they're looking for. But I think even when you look at your work, I don't know how you can't connect some of the constellations with some of the mythology and depictions on some of the ancient artwork and stuff like that. So
1: it is pretty compelling evidence, but the problem is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike and Maurice, but you can go through an entire, you know, education and never have a single class that shows you, the outlines of the constellations. And I mean, you can go through senior year of high school and then you can take four years of college and then you can get a graduate degree, a master's and a PhD and nobody ever. So if I were to walk into a bar or college or anywhere and say, hey, here's a blank piece of paper. Could you just sketch out for me the stars of Sagittarius? There's not too many people who are comfortable doing that. Or if I said, hey, can you please sketch out the outline of the constellation hercules or capricorn most people can't even envision it in their head even people who are into astrology who know the characteristics of that are attributed to capricorn or sagittarius still might not be able to find it in the night sky or sketch out right the actual star arrangement. They wouldn't
0: even be able to tell you Sagittarius is to the bottom left of the Milky way or something like that. I don't even think they'd be able to tell you where the grouping of the, unless it's, I think the big dipper and Orion's belt are probably,
1: and that's no, it's not their fault. I'm not, um, but this is a, this is a actual problem when I'm trying to explain, Hey, this is so obvious. Look at this connection. Right. But if we don't have that, uh, structure at all in our heads, it's like you're trying to describe, I've actually used the, uh, the metaphor of George Orwell with Newspeak. You know, in, the famous, in his famous book, 1984, mm-hmm. he said, you know, the, the purpose of this new language they're creating is to take away your ability to think about concepts like freedom. So, <laughs> so they would redefine freedom. It could only mean, like, f- this dog is free from fleas. And that's the only way you could really think of freedom. And so you could read the Constitution that said something about freedom or whatever, and you wouldn't even understand it because you didn't even have a box to put that concept in. all you could think of is, oh, this, you know, free means uh, free from, I don't know, dirt on this, on my hands. You couldn't think of it in terms of political freedom. Right. So by taking away. Yeah. So by taking away our ability, it's like the language of the stars has been taken out of our vocabulary to where someone it's like in the world of 1984 someone could come up to the people in 1984 and say hey stop acting like that you've got to learn about freedom why don't you stand up for your rights they would go rights i don't even know what that word means they couldn't even you couldn't even communicate with them so here i am running around saying look at these (laughs) these myths connect up with these constellations and people kind of look at me and go, hmm, it sounds interesting. But sometimes it's, it's even hard to actually grasp what I'm talking about. And that's nobody's fault, uh, other than the people who have stripped this out of our vocabulary, perhaps deliberately. Yeah, so I mean, you're right, though, about teaching in visions. school.
0: We don't, we didn't learn about that inside. Well, okay, I, I should, I should, retract that Maurice and I actually took astronomy senior year. We were lucky enough to have a planetarium built in our uh high school. So we very were able nice. to see some cool stuff and actually take a pretty interesting class with a really smart lady who taught us a lot, but um in terms of you have you, to seek that information Yeah, you have to out, seek it I out. It was an elective it class. It wasn't like, you know, senior uh uh physics 101 or something like that. It was very um take it if you want kind of a thing. So you're right about that. I don't think we're teaching, um, which is interesting because back when we didn't have technology and people were outside at night a lot, I'm sure most people could tell you what was going on.
1: Yeah. Although I will, I mean, at at the, uh, not to be, not to be uh, pesky on every, every single comment that you make, but maybe in the ancient times, this knowledge of the stars was more guarded among the certain kind of keepers of kind of the priestly knowledge of in Egypt, you know, the people who were keeping the calendars were the priests and they would, mm-hmm. they would take shifts during the night to watch the rising of the stars. And it wasn't necessarily, um, n- common knowledge among everybody. And so, so you don't think one, even
0: just the basic constellations, no, no, knowledge tied to them at
1: all. I don't, I don't know. But one argument might be, Hey, wait a minute. You shouldn't be giving this information out to everybody because it was always meant to be kept kind of secret. And I believe there are people today who still believe that the problem is if you're keeping this secret and using it to harm others and using it to, like you said, go around and stamp out the traditions of other people, like the colonizing imperialist Uh, colonialist forces that came to the Maya civilization and literally made bonfires out of their texts and said, all this is wrong, you have to accept our view of the scriptures, then I would argue that the keeping of that information secret has gotten out of control and is being used to harm humanity, which we can show that it has been. And I wanted to ask you
0: on that point, though. You make an interesting point. I wanted to actually ask you something. So do you think that there was some you're saying some hidden malicious intent because sometimes when I think about it, I just think they're ignorant or maybe they thought, Oh, these people are ingesting psychedelic mushrooms and uh, you know, doing ris- ritualistic killings of each other and things like that. Like we got to burn. This is satanic. Or do you think that they knew that maybe these people had a special knowledge and that's why I guess, what do you think between those two different points of view?
1: Yeah. Very good question. And I think, actually there was malicious intent by a group that said this knowledge is very beneficial and we'll keep the beneficial parts for ourselves. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I believe that's what happened. And I talk about that in myth and trauma because to, to oppress people, it's easier to keep them traumatized. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I do believe that that's going on and I address that in myth and trauma. So, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a, uh, Uh, a sad fact that you can see going on throughout history. You can see it happening. You can see, for instance, in the um, 1500s, 1300s in England, if you translated the scriptures of the Bible into the vernacular, the vulgar language, that is the language of the common people, that is English, you would be executed because they don't get to see it Mm -hmm. we'll tell you what's in it we'll read it in a language that you can't understand that being latin and you can't read it and so if you have a question so you can't go to it and say hmm it might mean something i don't think it means what you say it means (laughs) you can't even do that if, if it's not translated into a language that you can understand and so the fact that those um those laws were there about it must not be translated into the vernacular meant that somebody was trying to keep it as a uh, as a method of in, uh, enforcing control. Yeah, of some sort others. of
0: inside track to keep them and their people close to them on top, or have some sort of extra knowledge that's giving them some sort of control. advantage.
1: Absolutely. I mean, look in the Middle Ages, if you were a a, a serf or a peasant, you were basically living on a very subsistence, you know, uh, very, very subsistence lifestyle, (laughs) standard of living, while the lords uh, got all the increase of the land, all the excess. And that was kept in place, not just by the fact that they had the horses, the armor and the swords, which, you know, gave them more firepower, but still there was a lot more serfs and peasants And those guys could have had an uprising if they wanted to. But another important aspect of that control mechanism was the church and the faith and the idea that, no, this is the situation that is ordained by heaven. And if you go against this setup, you are going against heaven. And yeah, you may actually be able to have an uprising. But guess what will happen to you after you die? Eternal torment in the fires of hell. Mm. And if a priest tells you to do this and you don't do it, your soul is in danger of eternal hellfire. Well, that's a strong control mechanism that doesn't uh, depend upon having necessarily more fighting men than the general population. Mm. So it's a mind control technique. Anyway, um, you know, we're getting into some we're getting into some important and interesting stuff. But maybe people are saying, what <laughs> what exactly is this guy talking about? Maybe mm-hmm. we could... Uh, yeah, we'll go to we the next slide here. into some of the actual evidence. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do in this slideshow, and people can go to my website and see other podcasts that I've been on. But what I want to talk about is the evidence that this is a worldwide system mm-hmm. and that it is based on the myths. Uh, sorry, the myths are based on the stars, but that we find it literally on every inhabited continent and island of our planet. So this same system is found around the world, and it is based on the stars. So this is actually a text which was found in the famous library of Ashurbanipal in uh, Mesopotamia, in Assyria, um, in in the 18, early 1800s, they started finding all these clay tablets. Uh, they were doing, the British mostly were doing ex- excavations in Mesopotamia. And they, at first, they were just finding the tablets and they couldn't even translate them. And it's a very interesting story of how they finally started to crack that code, um, just like when they cracked the codes of the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. But this text is talking about sargon the great king this is sargon one or sargon of Akkad. i know there's a mm-hmm. kind of an alt-right personality who takes the name sargon no, of that's Akkad. Yeah, that, that guy i'm yeah, not I think i'm that, not supporting that guy's positions he's if people think that if, this, if people uh, think that sargon. that's who
0: you're talking about they're on the wrong channel we don't ever yeah. talk about stuff <laughs> okay, like good. that anyways we don't talk about anything hey. political and anything yeah. like that of any sort of nature so uh yeah, but people exactly. do know about ancient acadia we've talked about it they do know about great. mesopotamia so sargon so this sargon II, they think they
1: have a good yeah so this would be sargon one and this would be you know almost sargon the great is almost a mythical figure And this text which is found on a tablet is speaking in the voice of sargon because you can see right there in the first first line i am sargon the great king the king of agad or akkad agade my mother was a high priestess i did not know my father my city is Zau Piranu, which lies on Euphrates' bank. Now, I would argue that all of these are actually celestial clues um, but, but that we see in other myths around the world. Yeah. But let's continue. Okay. My mother, the high priestess, conceived me. She bore me in secret. And we don't know the father. So this is an interesting pattern of you know, the mother. The father is unknown. We see that right in line two there. But for whatever reason... She placed me in a reed basket. She Hmm. sealed my hatch with pitch. She left me to the river. Whence I could not come up. The river carried me off. It brought me to Aki, drawer of water. That would be another constellation, I would argue. In most of these myth patterns, I'm going to show this pattern over and over, some kindly fisherman, or um, in this case, drawer of water, pulls the baby in the basket out of the water. Aki, drawer of water, brought me up as his adopted son. Aki, drawer of water, set me to his orchard work. During my orchard work, Ishtar loved me. That's the great goddess of love. Mm -hmm. And then 55 years, I ruled as king. So that's a pattern of the baby cast adrift in a basket. Now we're going to see this around the world. We'll talk about the celestial... um, Celestial underpinnings of this.
0: Yeah, because what's the uh, the most famous ones? What Moses? Right.
1: So let's go to the next slide, and we'll see. Good call. And was you. I
0: wanted to ask you? Was the Euphrates? Were good you, segue. Were you uh, hinting that maybe that's the Milky Way,
1: or connected? that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good guess? And I would argue that yes, okay. the Euphrates River that he's being placed into, in this case, is the Milky Way. So we'll see that at the end, but I'm going to show this pattern over and over. So when these tablets were translated in the 1800s, this caused a major stir because the Bible stories were very well known and were very central to English culture and in the Americas. I mean, there were missionaries going around the world spreading the Bible and saying, this is the right way. Whatever you're doing is the wrong way. Please get civilized and start uh, following what we do. Um, And so when they found these tablets, which were, by most scholars' estimation, much older than the biblical narratives. I mean, the biblical narratives have uh, Moses living around 1000 BC, okay, or the the general, you know, some dating. Mm -hmm. I don't think Moses is a literal figure at all, okay? I believe Moses is a constellation, but... If you want to try and date when Moses is, if you walk up to a pastor who's gone to theology, you know, gone to a seminary and say, hey, when about did Moses live? Or when about was, uh, Moses was actually a little earlier than 1,000, but Solomon and David were probably around 1,000. According to that historical argument, Moses might have been, I don't know, 1,700. Well, the the King Sargon of Akkad was 3,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. So, What's going on here? Do we have uh, some copying happening? It's not necessarily copying. Like I said before, I think this was part of some very ancient civilization. That very ancient civilization was lost because of some catastrophe, and the remnants survived in all these different fragments around the world. So here we have in the book of Exodus, you can see the chapter and verse there below the picture in Exodus 2, there was a man from the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. This is a very famous story, of course. The woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months because the, uh, the earlier verses tell us the Egyptians were killing all the children of the Hebrews. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him, she took for him an arc of bulrushes. So this is a very similar pattern, reeds, bulrushes. She daubed it with slime and with pitch. Pitch is the same, comes from the same word that we get, the word bitumen, B-I-T-U-M, I think it's b-u-t, b-i-t-u-m-a-n or M-E-N, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a sticky form of oil that you find up in the tar sands in Canada. They, they mine for bitumen. That's yeah, what, they, that's, they used to use
0: pitch. that to uh, patch up boats or to use for like, Yeah. The, yeah. I was just watching something. I'm a, that's weird. That's like a weird thing. I was just watching something. I'm well, like, mm. you can
1: see that this is in multiple. This this aspect of the story is found in multiple uh, cultures. Mm-hmm. So she took from an ark of bulrushes or reeds. She daubed it with pitch. She put the child therein. She laid it in the flags, the the reeds, the the river you know the river plants there by the river's bank and you can see that in the picture and his sister stood afar off there's a sister in the bank too that's that's miriam the uh, uh, the older sister of moses hopefully i'm getting that right i'm now i'm going off the top of my head i better stick to the text anyway mm-hmm. uh his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him and so later the daughter of pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens uh, and they drew him out of the water and raised Moses. So you we can see this pattern repeating itself. So let's go and see what other cultures it might be found in. So now we'll go to the next slide. And, you know, may, many readers or listeners or, um, you know, people who are familiar with the myths might be familiar with Sargon of Cad that he was laid in the river, might be familiar with Moses that he was laid in the river. This is a very well-known story in India. This is from one of the national epics of india the mahabharata and it is you can like like we in the 50s had all these jason and the argonauts movies you know the sword and sandals movies with like hercules or mm-hmm. uh, perseus or you know all those great harry Hausen animation uh, animations they have kind of sword and sandal movies of mahabharata it's this is fantastic epic i really recommend everybody read it but in the mahabharata it's really long it's actually longer mahabharata is longer it's like seven times longer than the iliad and the odyssey put together mm-hmm. That's in that boy. story yeah it's it's a long and it's fantastic i mean it's wonderful you should re- it's all available online yeah, talked about it, the
0: bhagavad-gita and-
1: yeah, it's in the, the so Bhagavad Gita is found inside. Right, it's part of the Mahabharata. So, but uh, in that epic, there is another baby who is put into the water. His name is Karna. So, he is the son of Princess Kunti, who was given a boon by a sage, a holy man, Durvasa. And by Durvasa was pleased with Kunti's. Uh, she was helping the sage for a year. She was a princess, but she was helping this holy man and he said, Listen, I'm going to give you, because you're so good and kind-hearted and warm-hearted and generous and hardworking and not greedy, I'm going to give you this boon, this gift that you can use throughout your life if you ever need it. By reciting a mantra and thinking of any God, that God will appear and grant you a child. So that when you're married, if you know if for some reason you're unable to have a child, you can call upon any god you choose, and you'll have a child by that god, and it will be the child of that god. Mm. So after she got this mantra, Kunti, while she was still unmarried, decided, I feel like testing it out. I just want to make sure it works. So she recited it while she was thinking of the sun god, Suraya, or uh, Sarai, I think is how they I've heard it pronounced. But uh, the sun, uh, it takes a long time to learn how to pronounce these just right they have tones and things so sure. apologies for mispronouncing the name of the sun god but she thought of the sun god and uh he appeared <laughs> she didn't want a child yet she just wanted to see if the mantra worked she was unmarried and so she told the god oh <laughs> sorry about that no harm no foul mm-hmm. i i was just testing out the mantra please um please take you know <laughs> to Take off for right now, and I'll call you again if I need you. And he said, Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You've called me. I'm bound by the mantra's power. I'm going to have to give you a child. And mm-hmm. she said, What will happen to me? I'm unmarried. My father will disown me. No one will ever want to marry me. This is a very, uh, very big dilemma. And he said, Don't worry. Here's what's going to happen you will bear the child, but you will remain a virgin. And afterwards, you'll still be a virgin. Your father will be able to find a husband for you, no problem. Just put the baby in the river, the river Yamuna. And so she does that. She has the child. Now, this is a virgin birth. Note that this is a virgin birth It's like a
0: mix between Moses and the story of Jesus.
1: That's right. And if you remember back to the story that we started with of Sargon, he said, I knew my mother. She was a high priestess, a very virtuous woman. But I didn't know my father don't know my father. This is a similar pattern, and we'll see that again and again. So she bore a child who would become this great hero, Karna. He was born with armor already on his body, like built-in. It was like built-in armor, hmm. golden armor. Part of his torso was encased in golden armor, and he had earrings. Uh, he was born with these earrings, and they each had a name. Each earring has a special name. But anyway, she places him in a basket and sets it in the uh, the river Yamana, and it drifts down and the river uh, leads into the Ganges or the Ganga River, mm-hmm. Ganja. And uh, a, a virtuous man and his wife have been praying for a child. They've been unable to have a child. He, this man, Atirata, is out in the river praying one day, asking the gods, you know, I wish my wife and I could have a baby. And then this arc drifts up. And once again, we have a, a virtuous A foster parent who raises the child which if you think of the story of jesus actually joseph is not the actual literal father but he raises the child we don't know who the father is or it's a divine father just like in this story
0: yeah so this is definitely some deep-rooted archetypal maybe epigenetic style belief systems here yeah
1: yeah so it is coming from I would argue, it is coming from this ancient worldwide system. So here's another one. I didn't even always think of this as an a aspect of this pattern, but this is actually a very famous myth from Greek mythology, and this is the story of Danae, or I've seen it pronounced different ways. I've seen different professors pronounce it different ways. Danae, it's spelled D-A-N-A-E, and usually the E has two dots over it. So do you know whose mother, Danae or Danae or denai was uh a, you may not know you know who the hero is i guarantee it but you might not know who his mother is no, but she, she was a very beautiful maiden but her father the king acrisius was told um you he was told by the by an oracle you will be slain by the son of your daughter and he said mm, that's problematic I don't really want to be slain, but the right. son of your daughter will kill you and take your throne. And he said, well, forget that. And so he locked her in a box under the ground, mm-hmm. a cave or a stone box. Sometimes it's a stone box. Sometimes it's a bronze or a brass box. And he locked her and sealed her in there. But the god Zeus, um, you can go to the next page. This is a, a famous, um, the god Zeus descends upon Danae through the cracks in the box because he had to leave some vent holes for air to go up to the surface. Zeus descends in a shower of gold. And you can see this is by Gustav Klimt from 1907. The earlier one was from, I think, 1807 or maybe even the 1700s. There's another one. Uh, if you go to the next slide, this is even a uh, uh, found in ancient artist as well, artistry as well. But Zeus was always descending upon mortal maidens to have an affair with them. This is from around 450 BC. There's the same, you can see the same pattern. She's leaning, kind of leaning back, and the shower is falling between her legs of gold. And that is Zeus descending in a shower to uh, have an affair with Danae, who's locked within this box. And so uh, Mm -hmm. the servants come to the king and say, hey, uh, you know, we've been giving food and water to Danny and that box that you put her in under the ground. And uh, she, she would like to inform you that she has uh, become pregnant. And he goes, what are you talking about? I right. locked her in a box. That is not possible. Well, who's the father? And she says, well, the father's Zeus. Hmm. And he says, do you see this pattern is the same pattern that we're right. Uh, God is the father a uh, mortal, virtuous mortal woman is the mother And uh, he says, okay, well, this is great. Now, uh, hopefully it's not a son because I've been told by the oracle that he's going to kill me and take my throne. Well, sure enough, nine months later, she gives birth to a son. And the servants come back and say, hey, king, you know, your daughter who you put in that box that we've been keeping, uh, you know, sealed up in there so that nobody could ever uh, have a child with her. Well, now she has a son. And he goes, worse and worse. I can't believe it. Okay. I'm going to put her in a box and set her out to sea with the child. Because if it, if it truly is the son of Zeus, I better not kill her and him. Uh, Zeus will be mad at me. I'll send her out into the ocean. And if, she, a if the box, yeah, if, the box die, if the box sinks, then it's on Poseidon. That's actually in some of the myths. Talk about that. No, no so it's this, the son is Perseus. Hmm. Have you heard of Perseus yeah, in the Gorgon? I grew up yeah, watching... Was it yeah. Jason and
0: the Argonauts? Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans, yeah. that's what it was. 1981,
1: Similar. yes. So that's Perseus. So Perseus, so again, if you go to the next slide, you'll see the That's box actually a
0: classic that, movie, and though, even though it looked pretty fake now, I guarantee you <laughs> that would entertain somebody if they're interested in these topics. It's
1: actually, yeah, it's actually a Harryhausen. So Ray Harryhausen, who just um, had his 100th birthday, uh, if you looked on Twitter, they we were talking about Harryhausen was who did all this stop motion animation of the skeletons fighting. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh,
0: the, the mechanical uh, owl is my favorite part of the movie. That's in,
1: yeah, that's in uh, Clash of the Titans. So they took some liberties with the myth, yeah. I will say. But but uh, this is that story, Perseus and the Gorgon. So, But before he, before he uh, heads off to fight the Medusa, he uh, is just a baby in this box. So you see the fishermen there are, are fishing with their nets, and they're looking down. The shore and going, Hey, what are, what are those fishermen pulling out of the water down there? It looks like an ark, right? Same pattern that we've been seeing. So, this is the same the son of a mortal woman, divine father, put into the ocean and uh, for some reason, or put into the river in some versions. But we can see that this is the same pattern and it's worldwide. This is now we've seen it in how many different cultures now? The Bible, the the ancient uh, Mesopotamia, ancient India, now the ancient Greek myths. Right. Here's a so that's actually so. The painting on the left is a more modern painting. Obviously, the painting or the depiction on the right is from an ancient Greek vase showing Danae and her son Perseus mm-hmm. coming out of the ark. You can see he's already pretty ripped. You know he's been doing <laughs> some bench press there yeah, in he's the ready box. To go. He's, he's the son of <laughs> Zeus, so he's going to be a hero. He's going to grow up, and what's going to happen is this kindly fisherman is going to raise him as his foster son, just like we saw in those other uh, patterns. But the king of the island will be smitten by Danae's beauty and will want to um, try and make you know her his queen. And Perseus says, "Hey, no way, that's not going to happen." And so the king says, "I got to get rid of this pesky youth, who's now grown. You know, now he's eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. He's strong enough to actually." You know, fight the king, and the king says, "How am I going to get rid of this hero? He's a pretty formidable fighter. I know. I'll trick him into trying to go bring me back the head of Medusa, because nobody can nobody can do that. Everybody who's tried has been turned to stone. So, um, so that's how that that's how that uh, story uh, goes. But you can see that it starts with this same pattern of the uh, a child of the god and the mother." in this case, the mother in this case actually gets put into the Ark as well. So right. let's look at another one. So the next slide has, this is from ancient Japan. This is from a ancient text. This is what interests text. me. I
0: don't know a lot about ancient uh, Japan. Actually, I don't know, I mean, I know some a little bit about, you know, ancient Asia, but I think that the Japanese culture is kind of fascinating, so I'm interesting to hear these correlations.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating. In, in, in 2019, we've talked a little bit about my 2020 most recent book, Myth and Trauma. But in 2019, I published a book called The Ancient Worldwide System, where I kind of go from one culture to another. Mm-hmm. And I talk about the myths of ancient Japan in this record called the Kojiki, which means the record of ancient matters or the, 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 the old... Ancient matter book, the Kojiki. And that's where we find these stories of the kami. They're called the kami. They're the gods of the spirits of the spirit world. And there's, it's still, this is still, Japan is a culture where this is still very infused in the culture today. Unlike in Europe, where these ancient traditions were stamped out by the coming of literalist Christianity. And mostly because of the Roman Empire, which spread, you know, the Roman Empire basically got um, taken over by Christianity. And then wherever the Roman Empire was, Christianity started stamping out any of the ancient Greek myths, ancient Egyptian myths, the myths of other parts of ancient Europe, which includes the Druids, the Norse myths. Those were all stamped out wherever Rome got to. Rome did not get to China. Rome did not get to Japan, Rome did not get to India, so those cultures, Rome did not get to the Americas. Although later the European cultures that were literalist Christian did get to those places and start trying to stamp it out. But uh, anyway, long way of saying that the kami of ancient Japan, the the gods, are still part of Shinto, or which means if you look at the characters themselves, it means the spirit road mm-hmm. san dao san would be the word for spirit in uh cantonese and dao or do would be i do road. know a little it's bit Shinto's though Is, isn't
0: that somehow associated with when you, you see uh japan there's these like entrances where it almost looks like that's right um uh just like a like a tea or not a am sorry like an entrance like a doorway or a, a lintel
1: that's right yeah, that and they would put a they'll put a special rope on it that's made from rice fiber, um, and I would argue and I do argue in the ancient worldwide system that that is connected to the stars too. That gateway, uh, just like the gateway of the sun. Uh, last week I was on with Grimerica. I think you guys know the, yeah. the Grimerica yeah, guys, right? Yeah, we
0: had Darren on before. Yeah, they're they're great dudes. Yep, yep. I right Listen to their show. I actually I think I listened to a little bit of the one that
1: you were on. Right. Yeah. So, so I talked about the gateway of the sun at Tiwanaku, the portal of the sun today. It's sometimes called the Puerta del Sol and it shows there's a a famous figure above it. And I talk about it in that interview, which was also a video interview. And, um, actually Arthur, when, when he was on your show, talks about that. Shout out uh, to Arthur. yeah what richard cassaro talks about the god self icon so arthur was mentioning the god self icon Mm -hmm. remember when you had him on your show and there was a that figure holding the two kind of serpents or the two kind of lightning bolts one on either hand right that god self icon one of those that he showed was from that gate at tewinocchio oh no yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. now
1: and he showed a bunch of them and you and you said are there many of these? And he goes, oh, there's hundreds. (laughs) Richard Richard Cassaro, you know, shout out to Richard Cassaro has, has chronicled these around the world. Um, and they are connected to the stars. So that same Tori gate, I may be mispronouncing it, but it's a gate that demarcates the realm of the secular from the realm of the sacred. My favorite one's the
0: Portara at Naxos. I think that's the one that I think looks, there's something going on there. I know it was, a temple that was never finished, uh, got destroyed. I think by Xerxes had a hand in that, but, uh, yeah, Xerxes. (laughs) So,
1: so, um, you know, not to get too far off, but yes, the, the, the myths of ancient Japan, I would argue can be shown to be connected to this ancient worldwide system. And they even have ceremonies where there's an ark, and people have remarked on this, back in the 1800s or early 1900s people said hey they're carrying this ark in between two poles just like the ark of the covenant could it be that you know maybe some ancient hebrews got all the way to Japan well not necessarily that's that's an explanation that some people would say oh this must have come from a biblical culture not necessarily they're all descended they're all using this worldwide system so when it shows up in different cultures it's not necessarily that one came from another. I think it's much more likely that there was once a much earlier ancient worldwide system that the different cultures of the world have preserved in different forms. So, um, not to get too no,
2: that's...
1: far off track, there's another baby put into the ark, uh, put into the water in the Kojiki of ancient Japan as well. Hmm. So this is from the Kojiki, the, the two main uh, figures that at the start of all the creating of the islands of the world out of the primordial ocean are Izanami and Izanagi, or I may be putting the emphasis not exactly correctly. I do have a good friend who speaks Japanese. He could. I should have talked to him before this uh, podcast to make sure I said it right, but Izanami is the female deity and izanagi is the male deity and they're both uh, creating the islands of the world with the tip of the spear there in this uh, painting from 1885 by kobayashi Um, but after they create some of the islands and and the land of the world this is before any humans have been created uh, they look at each other and realize, wait a minute, there's kind of a difference between you and me. I'm a, I'm a male deity, and you're a female deity. And, uh, and Izanami, and they, they have this conversation and say, hey, maybe it'd be good for us to actually get together. And they're going around a pillar, a central pillar. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, you're so charming and attractive, uh, young male deity. And Izanagi says, oh, you're such a charming and beautiful uh, female deity. Uh, and they actually get together and and uh, conceive of a child. But then Izanagi says, wait a minute, I don't think that was right, because it's not right for the woman to speak first. This is in the text, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, commenting yeah. on whether that's right or wrong, but because of that, the text tells us that first child was born without bones. So he's called the leech child, Hiruko, which... Ko means child. The the Japanese sing, symbol for ko is the same as the Chinese symbol for g, which is a, a child. Z uh, and hiru is leech. So the actual Japanese symbols mean leech child. So they call this child who's born without bones, the leech child, and they put him in a boat of reeds. Once again, reeds. This sounds like
0: Adam and Eve and Moses.
1: Yeah, and they put it in the water and let it float away. They're like, we don't... We don't want that child because he's born without bones. He'll never be able to stand up. It's like a jellyfish or something. Yeah. Um, but it, again, we have this pattern of reeds, which we find explicitly mentioned in the Moses story, explicitly mentioned in the Sargon story. So what's going on here? Did, did all these cultures talk to each other? Or is this some worldwide system? I would argue it's a worldwide system. So
0: what do you, when you say worldwide system, what, what are your... Because there's, I mean, there's theories out there of some obviously people talk about the Atlantis but um the only time it's ever used is with Plato and the Timaeus and the Critias um but it could be like you know I think the Salutrians. we had uh, Donald Carroll and he was talking about the Salutrians. I know that that's a candidate for some sort of pre-civilization I mean do you have any ideas or just in general you think that there was some prior knowledge
1: Right. Well, I like to, I like to remain open-minded and not be dogmatic about it. You do get people who say, oh, this clearly proves that it all came from aliens. Right. Well, that I I say that's, you know, that's a possibility. I'm not going to rule it out, but actually I'm, uh, I'm open to many different possibilities. It is possible that different cultures, uh, had shamanic practices with, Entheogenic, hallucinogenic, or other practices where they go to the spirit world and they and they all see things in a similar way. That's a possible explanation. Or Um, taking
0: entheogens and looking up at the sky and already having knowledge of the constellations and then putting actual stories to them based on experiences or something like you just mentioned, like some sort of corollary between people's uh, what would be considered an anecdote, an anecdotal experience, maybe is not such as we talked about a lot of times on this podcast, like the DMT entities, while they differ, some are pretty, um, pretty close to other people's descriptions. So, um, I mean, that's a whole different topic, but.
1: Right. So I say, look, we don't know. I can prove, I put that in quotation marks, but I would say that the evidence is pretty overwhelming. I mean, I've, I've found thousands of (laughs) examples or at least Many, many hundreds of examples of where these patterns are based on the stars. It is pretty compelling that something is going on around the world. Now, how that happened, I don't think anyone can be dogmatic about it because I believe there was some kind of a break with wherever we got it from. Now, it's also possible that it came from, you're mentioning Salutrians, or it could be Denisovans, or it yeah. could be. Neanderthals, maybe Neanderthals were very spiritual and they had this whole thing, and then, you know, the other types of humans stamped them all out, and all we have left are these remnants. I don't know. I don't know. I try not to be dogmatic about it. But I would say that this system is not just an accident, it was put together by some very spiritually sophisticated and I would argue beneficial. Benefactors of humanity who gave this to all the different cultures of the world for our benefit, and it's and it is not just a game of oh let's see if we can match this up with the stars. They are actually giving us information that we need that's very beneficial. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll touch on it. I've touched on it and some other things too. And that that uh, picture at the very beginning where I um, where it said about um, that was a picture from a lecture that i gave you're cutting out
0: oh yeah sorry no, you're you cool. still hear me yeah, okay, yeah.
1: We're good yeah that a conference in october that people can listen to where i talk about some of the things that i think it means but here we have it again so moving on from we're finding it in ancient japan this is in the ancient islands of the pacific which is actually the largest culture in terms of spread out where we have the same myths going on all the way from the cultures in Hawaii, all the way to the cultures in New Zealand or Aotearoa. Um, that is a, a larger geographic area inhabited by a culture that speaks a recognizably the same language, has recognizably the same mythology um, of any culture on earth. It's like the distance between New Zealand and Hawaii is farther than the distance from like New York to. Paris. Mm. It's it's something like the distance from Portugal to Moscow Right. is, is how big that culture uh, covered with their amazing navigation techniques. So in this story of baby Maui, and, and the stories have different variations across the different islands, this is the story of Maui being cast into the water and rescued by his respected ancestor, Tamanui. So this is a version of that I'm going to uh, show on the next slide. I'll show some text from this version of how it was written down by the Arawa, uh people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. There's many different nations and um, tribes of New Zealand. Uh, this is a version from the Arawa, but there's different versions of Maui, the Maui story found all the way across Polynesia. The cultures all the way out to Hawaii, and probably going to Easter Island as well. So um, again, this is Maui speaking. So I put it there on the side. This is a, a Maui's account. I know I was born at the side of the sea, just like Sargon was born at the side of the river, and was thrown by you, he's speaking to his mother, into the foam of the surf. He was, he was thrown into the foam. After you'd wrapped me up in a tuft of your hair, that's why his name is Maui Tiki Tiki. Uh,
0: okay, so I want... Can I stop you right there? That's yeah, interesting. The foam of the surf, because that reminds me mm-hmm. of Viracocha, which translates to the foam of the sea.
1: That's right. So does Aphrodite, by the way. So the word Afro, Aphros in Greek means foam. Hmm. Aphrodite means foam born, right. born of the foam. So I'd argue we're, we're talking about uh, constellations that are around the same part of the sky. And as you might have already guessed, what do you think might play a river in the sky, or a foam yeah, in the, Milky the sky. Way. Milky Way. So these are constellations oh. that are around the Milky Way, which I'll show in a little bit. So Maui is thrown into the sea. In some versions of the story, it's because he has eight heads. In some versions of the story, when Maui is born, he has eight heads, and his parents say, okay, throw him into the sea. Kind of like the leech child is thrown into the Sea because he's born with no bones. And then uh, Maui continues and says, The seaweed formed and fashioned me, and the jellyfish of the long sandy beaches surrounded me to protect me. But myriads of flies alighted on me, and flocks of birds collected around me to peck me to pieces. You know, hey, look, there's a soft little baby down there. Let's eat him. But at that moment appeared, second to last paragraph, also my great ancestor. Tamanui Kiterongi and he saw the flies and the birds collected in clusters and he said hmm I wonder what's going on there and so he went down and he said it's a baby he caught me up and carried me into his house and he hung me up thereof that I might feel the warm smoke and the heat of the fire so Tamanui Kiterongi means of the sky Tamanui of the sky is the grandfather or the ancestor of Maui. And he rescues, when Maui's abandoned into the water by his parents, just like all these other babies, Tamanui grabs him up and hangs him in the rafters of his house to where the warm smoke and heat can bring him back. And that's how he was saved by the kindness of his ancestor. Otherwise, he would have frozen after being thrown into the water as a baby. It's a myth. I'm not saying that I'm condoning throwing babies into the water. I'm not. I'm not laughing about it. As, somebody's watch.
0: If somebody's gonna take that from that, they shouldn't be. They probably no. shouldn't be watching you anything never know on, on YouTube. Society, bro, watch out. Yeah, but you yeah, Anyway,
1: you, I, I I laugh about it, but I have to be careful that I don't get mistaken. But so now right. let's look. Let's look at uh, what could be going on here. On the next slide, I've got some outlines of the constellations now i've inverted the colors and arthur does this too i didn't actually start out inverting the colors this way Mm -hmm. at first in some of my first books on this subject i would have the sky would be black on the page and i'd have to do the outlines in different colored lines and it wasn't as clear to see it wasn't as visible as easy to see so after a while i started inverting the colors but that means that the milky way is going to be dark instead of light because obviously, at night, which we can now start to see the Milky Way, this is a good time of year to see the Milky Way. You can go outside and see Scorpio right now, and the Milky Way rises up right through the tail of Scorpio there and in between Scorpio and Sagittarius and alongside Ophiuchus. So you can see that kind of darker smudge going on on your screen.
2: Yep, yep, yep.
1: But at night, in the real night sky, that would be glorious, glowing, uh, brilliant. Trail of stars of the Milky Way. It wouldn't be dark; it would be light And the background. Of course, would be dark. So, who could be the figure who pulls Maui up and hangs him in the rafters? Well, I'll show you on the next slide. So, wait, but before you go to the next slide, don't go. Don't go. Sorry, <laughs> I got okay. So, let's just familiarize ourselves with the most important uh, constellations that we'll talk about real quick. Yeah. So, you see up at the top, you see Hercules mm-hmm. labeled there. He's a very powerful figure. He plays a very powerful deity in many uh, myth systems. He also plays a very powerful hero in many myth systems, including the hero Hercules or Heracles. Do You think that's because which... he's
0: half mortal?
1: Well, so he's a very powerful-looking constellation. He's oh, got. You this... meant,
0: I, I meant. I thought you meant like in the mythology.
1: Yeah. So, but you can see, look at that constellation. How he's brandishing. A giant weapon over his yeah, it looks head. Yeah,
0: like he's about to bash something on the ground.
1: For oh. sure. And he's reaching down towards the constellation that's below him is Ophiuchus, mm-hmm. which looks kind of like a central, kind of almost a tombstone shape there.
0: Yeah.
1: Or it could be a portal or a doorway.
0: Yeah.
1: It could also be a mountain. Um, it has this serpent on either side of it. Ophiuchus means the serpent bearer. Mm. And remember how you, you mentioned those beautiful gates, those sacred doorways of right. of Japan. They place a sacred uh, rope over them that's woven out of rice uh, fibers. Well, you can see that this doorway of Ophiuchus has this kind of uh, something laid across it, uh, a serpent, or it could be a rope. Mm -hmm. It could be a snake. It could be, it plays lots of different things in different cultures and in different myths. But down below Ophiuchus, we see Scorpio with multiple heads. That's how I usually depict Scorpio, because in the myths, Scorpio often plays a figure with multiple heads, just like one of the most famous monsters that Hercules or Heracles has to fight is the nine-headed... Hedra... Yeah, or Hydra. Hydra, uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, he has to bash off the heads, and each time he bashes one off, whoop, another one yeah. pops up. Two more pop up in its place. In fact, I think that's in Clash of the Titans, too. It is. So So uh, so, you can see the Hercules figure. It looks like he's getting ready to battle something. Sometimes he's battling a monster that's associated with one of the constellations down below him there. Mm. And then off to the left, we see Sagittarius. Sagittarius often plays a very beautiful woman, okay? Uh, remember the story of Danae that we talked about where she's locked down under the earth, but Zeus descends in a golden shower of gold mm-hmm. to uh, to meet her and fall into her lap. Well, I would argue that she is almost certainly associated with Sagittarius. Now, Zeus descends in the form of a swan to seduce a different uh, beautiful mortal, so and there's a sickness. swan... Yeah, Cygnus is actually right to the left of, I didn't draw it in here, but to the left of Hercules' foot is actually Aquila, the eagle, and then above that is Cygnus. So uh, you can see Sagittarius off to the left, you can see Virgo off to the right, Virgo often plays a female figure too. But the interesting thing is that all these figures can play both a male character in some myths and a female character in some myths. Sometimes they'll play a male character and a female character in the same myth, so Sagittarius will play a male character sometimes, as well as a female character. But you can see why it could look like a female character. It's almost like she's wearing a long dress there, mm-hmm. Sagittarius. So, so um,
0: I wanted to ask you too, so Scorpio below Ophiuchus, so Ophiuchus mm-hmm. might have be holding up two serpents in each hand or two hands mm-hmm. that are serpents or whatever the case may be. Is that mm-hmm. somehow then correlated to Scorpio or no? They're just two separate serpent-related things.
1: Good question. Yeah, so there are many different constellations in the sky that are a serpent or that play different serpents. So we've got uh, Draco, which is above the head of Hercules. I didn't draw it in on this map, but a few of its stars are protruding down into the very top there. Draco looks like a serpent. Ophiuchus is clearly holding a serpent. Down below Virgo, not drawn in, but um, a large part of it is in the lower right-hand corner of this star map, Mm -hmm. is the constellation that's actually called Hydra, uh, the, the serpent. It's a very long constellation. But the constellation that plays the Hydra with nine heads, I would argue, is Scorpio. So Scorpio plays a serpent in a lot of myths. So it's a good question. Ophiuchus figures will sometimes be battling the Scorpio figure that's down below them. And we'll actually see an example of that in a little bit. So... Ophiuchus figures will sometimes be standing on the head of a Scorpio figure. In fact, in the, if you remember, in the Genesis account, uh, when the serpent is driven out of Eden in Genesis three, and verse fifteen, the Almighty says to the serpent, um, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between." her seed, her offspring, and your seed, your offspring. And he will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. Mm. So if you look at Virgo, to the right of Ophiuchus there, she's going across the sky kind of on her back with her legs elevated and raised and spread apart. Um, And that comes out in different myths in different ways. Uh, as you can imagine, but sometimes it has to do with giving birth. If you've ever been present when someone's actually giving birth, they usually put a woman's feet up on a kind of an elevated, uh, and she has to push against like these foot pedals. It's actually kind and, of a,
0: like a mirror image of Hercules in a way too. If they were yeah. closer, I'd say there's maybe something there.
1: Well, actually, they do. Um, oh, okay. They do get described as sporting with one another in oh, uh, some right. of the. Uh, some of the stories of the Bible is how the King James Version talks about hey, were you? <laughs> I saw you sporting with uh, the woman you told me was your sister. Are you sure right. she's really your sister? Huh. Uh, but so, so she may be having a child in this, and sometimes the offspring is Ophiuchus, sometimes the offspring is Scorpio. Can you see how those could be envisioned as her baby that she just gave birth to? Yeah. See you that. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So Maui was thrown into the water because he has eight heads in some versions of the story because that's the offspring of Virgo. And they said, wait a minute, eight heads, let's throw it into the sea foam, into right. the Milky Way. You see how Scorpio's in the Milky Way?
2: Right.
1: Or the leech child, which was born with no bones, Scorpio again thrown into the or cast adrift in the water but ophucus in the in the genesis 3 version where it's told that the offspring the seed of the woman will crush the head of the offspring of the serpent the offspring of the serpent hydra is scorpio i don't want to i don't have it drawn out so i don't want to get too off track but you see how ophucus is standing on the head of scorpio
0: yeah
1: so ophucus is bruising the head of the seed of the serpent, oh. at the same time the seed of the serpent is bruising the heel of Ophiuchus, oh. which shows that the myths or the stories in the Bible are based on celestial. This is celestial metaphor. Right. Okay. So, so, but let's get back to the story of Maui because this is a very Actually, interesting. I think
0: I think Arthur had a spear going from Ophiuchus to the that's head, right head of the Scorpio or the head. Yeah, that's
1: right. I'll show that too. Yeah. Okay. So, so those, those, um, those, yeah. So, so Arthur, you know, I mean, he, he acknowledges that he got very excited right. by my book on the Norse myths and so opened up a new perspective for him. And I totally love that because that's exactly what this, um, is supposed to do, open up new perspectives for people. And so he took that, um, system and said, this system, I love, I love it. And I love the Norse myths. I already love the Norse myths. Let me see what else I can do with it. Mm -hmm. So he's using, um, you know, he's acknowledging it, that he's using some of these, uh, connections that, that are in the stars. And then he's taking it and finding additional things like the stuff that he was explaining to you about the runes is uh, his Uh, his discovery. So that's fantastic. I I love it. I really encourage it. And I hope more and more people will do that. So the spear is found in also in the Greek myths. We'll have figures who are associated with Ophiuchus will often carry a long spear. And so that left-hand side, um, serpent half will often be connected in a different way to where it's a spear going down, and I'll show that in a different slide. Okay. But sometimes a figure will even have two spears, and when a figure is fighting with two spears, that's almost a dead giveaway that they're an Ophiuchus character.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, in fact, like in the Iliad, uh, the most famous figure who fights with two spears is Hector. The, right. the mighty foe of Achilles is Hector. Mm. Hector is the strongest right, right, fighter right. on the side of the Trojans. And he fights with two spears. And and sometimes in the Iliad text itself, it describes one of the spears as having a hoop at the top of it. Okay. So look at that second spear. You see a little hoop oh, yeah. at the top of it? Yep. Boom. It's like, come on. We are talking about celestial figures here.
2: Right.
1: So uh, two spears is an Ophiuchus, but a spear as a, a weapon is a strong clue that we're talking about Ophiuchus. It's not... Definite clue. There are other figures who will have a spear, but Ophiuchus' favorite weapon. An Ophiuchus figure will almost always use the spear as his favorite weapon. So, um, yeah, you guys are getting it. So now let's go back to the Maui story, where Maui was thrown. We'll go on to the next slide okay. in a second, but before we go to the next slide, don't don't click it yet. Okay. Remember, Maui was pulled out of the sea foam by his grandfather and hung up in the rafters. Remember that. Mm-hmm. So look at Hercules way up above Scorpio. Okay? Scorpio is Maui with his eight heads being thrown into the water, I would argue. Okay. But then his grandfather comes along and pulls him up out of the water. Now go to the next slide. While everyone looks at Hercules, because in front of Hercules, you see that little line that I just drew in there? (laughs) You clicked it one too many times. Go back just a sec. That's all right. So you see that little line? Hercules is in front of A little constellation, a beautiful constellation, you can see it tonight if you go outside, if you have good views, it's called the Northern Crown. And that little beautiful arc of stars, you can imagine an arm going from Hercules to the Northern Crown. Mm. In other words, the ancients would sometimes draw additional lines to what we normally see on our star map. They would envision, oh, Hercules is grabbing a little baby and pulling it up into the rafters. That's... Now you might not look at the northern crown and say, "Oh yeah, that looks like a baby." But have either of you guys ever changed a baby's diaper?
2: Uh, yes. yes. Very have nasty. they ever gotten
1: mad and like arched, like a hard arch? Have you ever had a baby arch? Yeah, I don't, like they're mad and they just get ah, they're they're just mad at you and they're screaming and they arch back. Sure. Babies yes, yes. will arch when they're mad, <laughs> uh, and uh, that's. You wouldn't think of that northern crown as an arching baby, but the ancient myths, whoever gave them this system, clearly did, because Maui was pulled out of the water by his grandfather. That's Hercules. And I'll show you another myth where we have a baby who's arching, and that's on the next one. And I talked about this a little bit in the uh, Grimerica show, but this is one of my favorite examples to show, can you see... Uh, what, what Bible story we're talking about here? Do you know this one?
0: Uh, that was when they chopped the kid
2: in
1: half. Correct. Yeah. I don't remember what the name of it is. Who's the king who is super wise.
0: Oh, it's Solomon.
1: Correct. So this is sometimes known as the judgment of Solomon showing his wisdom and they don't actually chop the child in half, by the way. Right, right, (laughs) right. viewers uh, (laughs) Viewers who might be freaking out. He threatens to chop the child in half because the two mothers are arguing as to whose baby it is. And he Mm -hmm. says, I've got an idea. Let's just cut it in half. We'll give you each a half. And one mother says, don't do that, please. Just give it to her. And the other mother says, no, it sounds like a good idea. Cut it in half. And Solomon says, thank you very much. I think I've got my answer. (laughs) We know who the real mother is. Give it to her. But look at how the baby is always depicted. You see him arching. Yeah. Hard arch. Do you see the swordsman? Putting his sword over his shoulder, or over his back, like Hercules. Yeah, that's
2: yeah, interesting.
1: So, this is a depiction from 1896, but we could go. Uh, I don't have, I don't think I have a whole bunch of other ones. I think I maybe have one or two others. But if you look through different uh, eras of art, the baby will almost always be shown arching. And that's because, if you go to the next slide, I label some of the constellations here. Solomon. I am quite convinced, and I talk about this in a book called Star Myths of the Bible, is connected to the constellation Ophiuchus, which often plays a figure associated with wisdom, mm-hmm. including who's the goddess of wisdom in ancient Greek myths.
0: You remember? Uh, I, we haven't it's
1: even... Okay. No,
0: I, I don't there, remember. I was it's Athena, Athena, the goddess
1: Athena, uh-huh. and her chosen weapon is a great spear. Right. So just like we were talking about, Ophiuchus has a spear... Uh, Ophius's, Oph- Ophiuchus figures are often associated with great wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon. He's seated in between two pillars in uh, a lot of depictions. That's just like Ophiuchus is seated in between those two lines that we talked about. So Solomon is Ophiuchus in this uh, this story. The, the swordsman, who Solomon says, okay, cut the baby in half, is the is associated with Hercules, who's putting his great sword over his shoulder and picking up the baby who's arching. Sure. And the two mothers are Sagittarius and Virgo, those two female figures that we talked about. There's also a dead baby in the story. This story has a live baby and a dead baby, that's the southern crown. I won't go into it too deeply here. I've actually made a video about it. People can check out, but okay. I'll show you another depiction of it if you want to go back um, to the next, go to the next slide. Hmm. Well, this shows you can see Ophiuchus in between Sagittarius and Virgo. He's he's judging between the two mothers. And then you've got the swordsman up there holding up the baby. If you go to the next uh, piece of artwork, this is from a painter named Poisson. Um, I didn't put the date down there. This is much earlier than the other one. Okay. But you can see again, if you click the next, if you go to the next slide, you can see I've labeled it. Ophiuchus there in between the two pillars, mm-hmm. Virgo is the figure on one side, Sagittarius is the figure on the other side, and Ophiuchus is judging in between them, we've got the dead baby, the live baby, the, the swordsman in this one is off to the left, He's, he doesn't have his sword directly over his back,
2: right. the
1: artist is taking a little artistic license, but you can see it's still pretty much Hercules posture, sure. the, and you can see the baby is arching again, so we have the arching baby. We're we're seeing these patterns around the world. An arching baby is showing up in a myth from New Zealand and is showing up in a story from the Old Testament. So what I was trying to show with this slideshow that I've now, you know, we're getting towards the end of it, is that we're dealing with an ancient system here, an ancient worldwide system system that is found around the world and is manifesting in these myth patterns or oikotypes. Sometimes they're called oikotypes where we see a myth pattern surfacing over and over around the world. And some researchers in the past, like uh young Carl Jung has said, Oh, this must be the collective unconscious just, um, working its way out in different cultures without any contact with one another. And I don't deny the, the uh, existence of something uh, like the collective unconscious. In fact, I think it's pretty clear that there is something like that going on. But in addition <laughs> to a collective unconscious, we can see that they are part of some kind of ancient system that is connecting these things to these, these figures are connected to Specific constellations that we can see the same pattern over and over. So if you go to the next slide, hmm. I'll go back to a big picture of the, um, the, the region of the sky that we're talking about that I believe is active in all of these stories that I've just shown you. And the Milky Way, on, if you forward to the next slide, I put outlines around the Milky Way. So this gives us the arc or the box amongst the reeds that's Ophiuchus. Hmm. You see how Ophiuchus could look like an ark with a lid? Sure. And even there's reeds on either side of it or big bulrushes on either side of it. Those are the two serpent halves. But it's also the, the figure of Scorpio down beneath can also sometimes be imagined as a reed or a bunch of reeds or a reed boat. Scorpio actually does look like a boat. So sometimes Ophiuchus will be a figure standing in a boat. It is also, this is the region that gives us baby Maui in the sea foam, mm-hmm. which I believe is associated with Scorpio until his grandfather picks him up and hangs him in the rafters. And also Hiruko, the leech child that we talked about from the myths of ancient Japan. So this is this is kind of the way this system works. It's not just in the Norse myths. It's not just in the Bible. It is worldwide. Sure. And it's very ancient. It's even in the myths of ancient Egypt. It's even in the myths of uh, ancient Mesopotamia. I'll even show you a Mesopotamian one because I was listening before coming on the show. I listened to a bunch of uh, different Mike and Maurice uh, episodes. Oh, thanks. I heard you talking about some different subjects. So I'll bring in a couple more just to show.
0: Yeah, you will, But
1: if you want to launch into some questions, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say this is super fascinating. I think, um, you know, correlating coming together now yeah yeah. and i mean i've always been fascinated even since like you know school uh mythology and i gotta brush up on some of it though my my greek mythology is lacking actually we're gonna do an episode on that coming up but i i gotta get back into that because i've just been looking at like the philosophy and megalithic structures and things like that but i do like the greek mythology that's actually one of the things that piqued my interest into all this stuff so um but i the, the fact that you're correlating across all these different timelines and cultures and, uh, civilizations just, you know, I think that people know that there's something to all this, but putting it together is, is a whole different story, but you've obviously done that with your research. Now, do you think though, or maybe you'll get to it or, you know, you can tell me if you want to talk about that later, but what's the, what's the, the background, um, knowledge behind that, Like what, what is this all driving at? Is there some material knowledge that or some sort of leg up that can be gained from that? Like you mentioned earlier?
1: Yeah, great question. And so what I would say is I don't believe that this is actually talking about historical events. Mm. You know, a lot of people really want to cling to, okay, it's in the stars, but don't you believe that it's also based on history too? Uh, Mostly this comes from, you know, if I say, well, I believe that actually the stories of Jesus are also based all on the stars, and I can show you that. And people say, yes, but he was also a literal figure, right? Or if I say Moses was based on the stars, which I can show some strong evidence to support that assertion, people say, yes, but wasn't there also a historical Moses? If you want to believe in a historical Moses or a historical Jesus, that's fine. But I don't believe that the evidence supports that. In in other words, let's look at all these babies put into a box, you know, myth. Which one of those, did all of those happen in history? Okay, well, or, well let me ask you or, this
0: question then. So as far as these myths go then, what if mm-hmm. they were already in place and then you had a prophet emerge as one of these... Uh, myths as a real person meaning that like this this king that's you know uh, a do-gooder that only does the right things and loves everybody and teaches people uh you know like the jesus basically the archetype of jesus that that might have already been a thing that was embodied in some sort of historical person or do you not think that that's the case meaning yeah, that i think that, the myths yeah. gave gave way for this person to be who they were
1: yeah, well, I mean, people can, people can look at the evidence and, and decide what they want. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, s- step on anybody's um, sovereign mind to, to decide for themselves. Mm. But what I believe these things are created to do is to pass on profound truths to us that are very real, that are very true. So when someone says, oh, are you saying the Bible's not true? I say, no, not at all. The Bible is absolutely true, but I don't believe it's literal history. Um, If you want to believe that it's literal history, if for some reason that gives it more value in your eyes, then go right ahead. Um, But as long as you don't try and impose it on other people. The problem with making it literal is, first of all, it turns it into external things. And I believe these are talking about internal—we'll talk about what I think they're trying to convey to us in a second, but I believe they're— they're actually talking about each and every one of us. They're talking about struggles that you and I and everyone who's ever lived has to go through. These are stories actually about our own journey, and so
0: it's like some Joseph Campbell hero's journey type of an element.
1: Yeah, it's it's I, I use like the example of uh, Mr. Miyagi teaching Daniel okay. using all these uh, wax the car and paint the fence
0: gotcha. And
1: he's saying, "Look, I want to teach you something really important and really true and really valuable and it really works. I'm going to teach it to you using something else. And and then when I say remember wax the car and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and you say, "Aha, okay, I get it." So uh, these stories are about actually recovering ourself our connection to ourself i'll talk about that in a minute but it's hard to grasp but then if i say well you see it's like the story of do you understand that that's not really about someone external to you that's actually about you getting back in touch with your own self and you go oh wow oh that makes so much sense now i understand um And does it tap into a collective unconscious as well? I absolutely think that it does. And I absolutely think that there is a divine realm and there is supernatural, um, uh, you know, the voice of, or things that we can't explain by simple physics that uh, are connected to this whole concept. But these myths are there to teach us about that realm using a system, using a system. So the gods are real. I would argue that the gods are real, but it's not literal. Gotcha. So I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining that no, super it clearly, but, make sense. Uh, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll make it a little more clear as we go on. But um, But I'm just trying to show that, you know, all these stories, I believe, are actually being played out in the stars. It doesn't It doesn't necessarily mean that it actually happened in literal terrestrial history. In fact, I would argue (laughs) it almost certainly didn't happen in literal terrestrial history. These are stories that are to guide us towards something else. Just like wax on, wax off. If Mr. Miyagi, if Daniel-san kept saying, yeah, but wait, what about if I'm waxing a Ford versus a Chevy? Mr. Miyagi would say, why are you still talking about wax? A car. I. Yeah. I told you that was a metaphor. Now let's get <laughs> yeah. to karate here. Now understand now. Yeah. And, no, and I mean, I think if you're taking it literally, it's like hold on, quit grabbing onto the literal part. That's you're making it external. So the two problems with externalizing it is number one, you can miss the message because you're looking outside of yourself, and it's trying to teach you about something that's actually found by going within. And second, uh, literalizing. Has been used to say, "Okay, well, my stories are true, and yours are obviously false. My story about Moses being placed into the reeds was obviously literally true." I mean, Moses also I,
0: lived eight hundred years, so I mean, what are you going to, you know, yeah. you have to be able to take it with a grain of salt. Some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I'm but your, sure your your point of view is as valid yeah, as anybody that's... is is as valid as any other theory. I mean, like, yeah, there's going to be people that say. Obviously, Jesus was a real person. Me personally, I don't know where I stand on it. I mean, whether I actually believe whether Jesus was real or not, the archetype that he presented to the world is the most important thing, meaning that here's this person that was able to overcome the evil of themselves and spread love and knowledge and uh, bring people together. I think that's the message that should be taken from that. So whether he was actually real or not actually doesn't matter. because that's a profound thing. However, people would say, oh, well, there's the Pontius Pilate Stone, and then there's these artifacts, and then he's written about adversarially in certain texts. Why would you write about a fake person, you know, as an opponent? Things like that. But, I mean, like I said, I mean, I've, we've had quite a few people on that um, have different theories or hypotheses than yours that also involve Jesus not being
1: a real entity. Well, and I'm not saying not real. I'm saying not. Not, not uh, a physical. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so setting and like moving past that contentious issue a little bit, I, I would not disagree with anything that you're saying except to the point where somebody says, okay, well now if I take it literally, I have to go around and force everybody else. Yeah. That's the problem. Try right? and convince that's the problem. And actually I did want to mention without being, uh, a, a, a ungracious guest, you know, coming into your show and oh, with yeah. you. The, uh, the Urantia book, I know you guys did a whole
2: yeah
1: show on the Urantia book. I am very against the Urantia book. Oh. Because, um, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you guys probably haven't read it from cover to cover, but there's no. very I mean, bad I... racist stuff in the Urantia book. And it was probably written by, uh, uh, gentleman named uh saddler his last name was Sadler, yeah. who was born in 1875 died in 1969 and he wrote some other books that were extremely like very racist like i
2: think i know what you're talking racist. about i think the, yeah. the section you're talking about i did uh either listen to some some information on it or whatever yeah, i don't remember
0: heard. that but damn uh, yeah I well,
1: so but what i would say about so um what i would say about it is that uh He, or whoever wrote it, is taking the Bible literally and saying, hey, Adam and Eve, you know, every planet has their own Adam and Eve, and Urantia, which is what the Urantia book calls Earth, they say that the real name of Earth is Urantia, had its Adam and Eve, and had its Archangel Michael, a literal, they're talking about a literal Archangel Michael, and had a literal Jesus, and all these things. Well, I'm showing you that it's based on the stars, and I'll show you the Archangel Michael in a minute. So, if this book is supposedly downloaded from, you know, higher intelligences, they're talking about a literal Adam and Eve and a literal Archangel Michael, which well, I can well, show it's you. A ch- it's a channel
0: thing. I mean,
1: yeah, but but there are some parts in that book that say things like uh, all races of mortal beings are not alike, and you've got the blue race that enslaves. Yeah, that's the, the part English I remember. Race the orange race. Yeah, and the that is. I mean, it is it is flat out, uh, yeah, racist yeah that, that sounds, stuff that sounds
0: like just,
1: it. So I just wanted to mention that just, um, not to, not to, you know, try no, and hey. uh, make us feel bad.
0: No, no, I, no, I, I don't feel we bad never agree. We never like succumbed. <laughs> to we didn't say this is true. This or not. We just entertained. That was kind of how we actually started doing the podcast was just, you know, uh, reading. No, yeah, just, and, the whole thing was I started to read, look into it a little bit, uh, in the background. I thought it was kind of weird and, we're huge music fans. I'm a huge Jerry, yeah, Gar- actually, actually, Jerry Garcia, Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Vaughan you know.
1: <laughs> I've seen Stevie Vaughn in concert. Yeah. I, I had uh, Jimi Hendrix on vinyl when I was in eighth grade. And, and all these
0: people carried this thing around, so and, I
1: mean. and Yeah, so, uh, you know, I heard I heard the episode, and so I wanted to just kind of say it gently, but I am no, dead set against the Arantia
2: book. You're absolutely so I think it's fine.
1: I think, it's, I think a lot of that uh, early UFO stuff and even some of the continuing UFO stuff, sometimes tends into uh oh, i racist. see it on
0: so, yeah i see people posting stuff on twitter i usually block them if it gets to that weird place but
1: um, so yeah so but let's continue on with what i don't want to get too uh off into oh, slamming what other people you're think. fine i want to try and present what i'm talking about but so let me just show another um picture of hiruko when he grows up in some uh understandings of the myth he becomes a a fisher god named Ebisu. I may not be pronouncing that particularly correctly, but because he's a god, he gets his bones back, and he's able to become a fisherman, and he's kind of a a beloved god or deity or kami in the culture of Japan. And you can see he has very long earlobes, if you kind of look at it. Mm -hmm. And he's carrying a very long uh, fishing pole. And uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see... I draw the uh, the spear. So figures that are Ophiuchus figures will often have a long spear, right. or in this case, a long fishing pole. But what's really interesting about this particular depiction here is, if you go to the next slide, um, he is holding a bag of fish there behind his back, kind of. You see, there's like a he's kind of got a satchel, and there's a fish tail sticking out of it.
0: Yeah, on the right side.
1: Yeah, on the right side of looking at Abisu, the god figure on the painting on the left. Now look down below Ophiuchus, and you can see the, the constellation Libra right in front of Scorpio. You see that? Uh, yeah. And Libra could look kind of like a, a bag or a handbag. And you see how up above the the side of Ophiuchus that's uh, the right serpent half with the triangle at the top that could look like a fish tail sticking out of the basket right so i think abisu after he grows up after the leech child haruko is, is thrown into the sea foam or is cast adrift by his parents he's he's down there in the form of scorpio when he doesn't have any bones but later he grows up into the fisher god abisu which is or Ebisu, I'm i'm probably pronouncing it terribly um you don't have to get corrected on how to say it right but he grows up into the constellation of with his long fishing pole and his bag where he's carrying the fish when you see the fishtail sticking out and the reason i'm i feel fairly confident in making that assertion is let's go to uh well if you go to the next slide i circled the fish bag just so everyone can see what i'm talking about that's what I believe corresponds to Libra. So Ophiuchus figures will sometimes carry a special handbag. And I put this in here because I've I've shown it in some other videos and and uh, actually videos where I criticize the Urantia uh, book. But um, we talk about. Yeah, don't feel but you can criticize famous. it all you want okay. it, to be, it was yeah. it was just
0: it was just the thing that piqued our interest initially when we got into yeah. like all the occult and esoteric stuff and to be honest with you a lot of the new age stuff has a lot of racist and racial undertone type things and as you mentioned there's a lot of people in the ufo community that kind of get into that point of view obviously it's nothing we condone we're all about love and knowledge and peace but um, yeah, I don't remember that part of the book, but obviously Maurice does. And... I do, I remember that exact part. I never even well, thought twice I, about it.
1: And I think people are, are deliberately leading. So after this, um, you know, people used to take the Bible literally a lot more widespread across the culture, and as that died out, then the people who wanted to exercise control gave a new way of interpreting these things literally,
2: <laughs> right. which
1: is, okay, it's all about, UFOs and aliens and Anunnaki. So let's go to the next slide, because you guys have talked about the famous handbag or satchel. Yeah, Yeah. and there's a picture of it right there, labeled with I put a letter B. So that figure, that's a uh, it's an Anunnaki figure, or it's actually um, oh now I'm blanking on another ancient Sumerian word for uh, what these. Apkalu, right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. These figures, um, sometimes they have an eagle head, sometimes they have a human head with a nice, luxuriant beard. But you see the wings on the left side. You see that holding the famous pine cone-shaped object in the upraised hand, labeled with the letter A. I am uh, quite confident in saying that this is an Ophiuchus figure. I mean, I've looked at enough myths where I can start to say with some pretty good confidence which Right. constellations are often associated with uh, which figures. And this is a pretty clear Ophiuchus figure. So the, the upraised pine cone in the upraised hand is the, if you look over to the letter A on the Ophiuchus chart, Yep. the satchel that he's holding in his hand is almost certainly the constellation Libra. So Ophiuchus figures will often be carrying something that corresponds to Libra. And that's That's the origin, I would argue, of this famous what's in the satchel or bucket or bag that we find in the artwork of the Maya or the Toltecs in the Americas. We find it in the uh, Apkalu figure here, the Anunnaki figures from the ancient Mesopotamia. We find it. So I'm going to show another figure that's going to help cement this uh, argument that I'm making. So here we have the Archangel Michael. The Archangel Michael is described in Revelation 10 as casting down the dragon with the multiple heads in a great battle in Revelation 12 at the end of the Bible. And so you can see how Ophiuchus is standing above Scorpio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: casting down, and you can see the spear. So Michael also often is shown with a spear, but the part I want to really focus in on is what's he holding in his other hand that he's not holding uh, his
0: spear? I can't really see. What is that? I don't know. I can't see what that is.
1: Okay. Well, hold that thought for a second. What is Libra? Don't don't click yet. What okay. is Libra? What is Libra a constellation associated with? You know, Libra uh, means the. Uh, I yeah, I don't know. Well, you can actually think about like the word. It means to weigh something, right? Okay. Like like. Uh, weighing something in a scales or a balances. Right. Like the well, the word
0: for. Spanish for book or something like that
1: yeah Libro um uh it but to weigh the the, but weight is uh is related to that root that's a Latin root for weight or for weighing things so it's a scales Libra is the balances sure the scales and you can see how it kind of looks like a scales or balances the old-fashioned balances with the thing on the top and then the two sides one is higher than the other in this case right See how it's a balances. Yeah. Now go to the next slide, and I'll zoom in on what Michael's holding in his other hand. Okay. So he's holding the balances, and this is a common uh, theme in pictures of Archangel Michael. He's got uh, two souls are being weighed in the balances, and it, you, it's not super easy to see, but actually the dragon is pulling down the. <laughs> there's a clawed hand yeah, I see that, yeah. up and pulling down the lower scale. And sometimes there's an angel pulling up the other scale. So we've got one, one soul is being pulled down by the devil and he's looking quite uh, shocked because he he's being weighed in the scale going down. Whereas the other figure is being weighed in the scales and kind of folding the hands in the, in the beatific pose and looking upwards because that soul is being elevated uh, up to heaven. So, the fact that an archangel Michael figure is holding a spear in one hand and a balances in the other is pretty good, pretty good indication that it's associated with the constellation Ophiuchus. If you go back to the last slide, the previous slide, you'll see. Well, there's Ophiuchus. Right. So Michael has wings, just like the Apkalu figure. If you go back to the Opaloo figure, he has wings. That's Uh, Ophiuchus figures are often winged figures, they often have a spear, and they're often holding something that's associated with Libra. So I just showed you three different examples of Ebisu, the fisherman with his long pole, who's got a satchel full of fishtails. I've got the Apkalu, who's got the pine cone in one hand and the the satchel or the famous, you know, the mysterious bag in the other hand, which, uh, you know, we've also spotted on Some of the pillars, or one particular pillar at Gobekli Tepe, you know, the famous satchel figure shows up there. But we've got the Archangel Michael here as well. And there's other figures in myth that are associated with Ophiuchus who have these kinds of patterns of holding spears. So what I'm trying to show is that this system is underlying the ancient myths of the world. So now, just to finish off, because we've been going for quite a while, and I've got a little little bit more content for the Patreon at the end, but sure. what does this all mean? What what could this all be about? Right. Um, so if you keep going forward a little bit more, and get to my quotation here, this is from, so I'm not the first person to argue that the scriptures are based on the stars by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, there's ancient authors who made hints that they know that this is going on. I am, I became fascinated with it and really started to, Try and decipher the vocabulary of the language that the ancient myths are speaking, but they are speaking, I would argue um, allegory. They're speaking in metaphor. They're not actual history. So this is a quotation I like to use from Alvin Boyd Kuhn. But if you go to the next slide, uh, and I talk about what could they be talking about? Well, I think they're teaching us many profound lessons but one of those lessons has to do with reconnecting with our own higher self which we don't even realize we've been disconnected from our own higher self but that's what i talk about in myth and trauma and we've been going for a while so i don't want to get really far into it but i'll just show you a metaphor and i use this a little bit with the grand america show last time and i I find it a handy way of trying to explain what I'm talking about. On the next slide, what does trauma do? It actually separates us from ourself, Hmm. separates us from ourself. And here's a very easy way to understand (laughs) or to picture what it means to be separated from yourself. This is that famous scene in the two towers, right? Where what's going on? Right. Smeagol slash golem like
0: two people he's going back and forth
1: he's having a hard time with himself right he you know he even refers to himself as us but you know there's there's the side of him that says I don't want what you're dishing out you know I don't want to be that I don't want to be controlled by you anymore in the in the golem persona says where would you be without me I'm the one who got us through all the stuff that we had to go through well Mm -hmm. golem develop that persona because of trauma, because of misery, because of disconnection, isolation. And we actually, and the myths actually depict this. We actually develop a persona, and that's what the Bhagavad Gita is all about, actually. Arjun is talking with Krishna and learning about reconnecting with his higher self finding his essential self overcoming and how to do that and i would argue that's what's going on in many 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 other myths the myth of gilgamesh and enkidu they're twins the myth of castor and pollux they're twins the myth of all these different twins uh they're actually it has to do with reconnecting with who we are With a part of us that's been lost or that's been suppressed or that we've been separated from because of trauma, we develop this persona that takes over. And then we want to get rid of it or we want to be free of it. We want to escape it. (laughs) I had to work this in. What's your whole show's name? Mike and Maurice's (laughs) mind escape. So there's like an egoic mind. That's what you're seeing in the top frame there.
2: Right.
1: And you know, I I've even heard on some of your intro music, you guys have great different intro, you know, ditties that you have. You have a couple of different ones. But in one of them, it says to help you escape your mind or something like that. Right. Yep. That's what we're we're actually trying to get back to our essential self. That's what we're doing. Even when we're drinking, we're like, I, I don't you know, I'm trying to we're trying to find we're trying to get rid of that golem self that's up top. We're trying to get it to shut up. The one that's always getting in our way. Mm -hmm. You know, when we have a drinking problem, it's because we're really trying to get back to who we are and we're trying to silence or shunt aside that that golem self that's always screwing things up for us where we're like in the the golem in the lower Smeagol in the lower picture is like, go away and never come back. Well, it doesn't work that way. He tries to say, go away and never come back. And he thinks, oh, good. I've gotten rid of him. Well, that doesn't work. But the myths actually show us real ways to reconnect with this self that we've lost. But the first part is even understanding that we've lost a part of ourself. And that's what trauma is. Is trauma is the reaction that causes us to separate from ourselves. It's something that happens inside of us. And so to fix it, we have to, it's something that has to happen inside of us. And the myths actually show us. That's what I think. One of the central things that the myths are doing, and so when we externalize them and think, "Oh, this is all about Moses, who lived, you know, 3,000 years ago," and it's all about some, you know, external thing, we don't realize. No, it's actually talking about you. It's actually talking about each one of us. It's actually something that we. It's it's actually pointing us how to get back in touch with our essential self, and through that we have peace. Like, think about, you know, how do they greet each other in uh, the Old Testament? They say shalom, which means peace. Whenever Jesus shows up, when he shows up in the episode of Doubting Thomas, the first word out of his mouth is always peace unto you. He always says peace. Uh, they, in some cultures they say salam in Arabic, it means peace. Well, what, is, what are we wishing someone when we're wishing them peace? wishing them an end to this division that's depicted right here with Golem, this division right here, that's what we're trying to fix, and the myths are pointing us how to do that. Hmm. i I am convinced that's what the myths are showing us how to do. And so the more we can really understand the language that they're speaking, the more we can follow this wisdom that's been given to us in the ancient times to help us with this. So that's, that's what I think's going on.
2: All right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like it. Like definitely. Yeah, and there's, yeah. I mean, you've obviously been that there's multiple, you know, four or five different myths right off the bat that have very similar, um, ideas or, or, you know, mythologies within them that, that correlate. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's obviously something to it and, We used to stare up at the stars every night when we didn't have technology and lights and things like that. So I I see no reason why this couldn't be the case.
1: Yeah, well, um, in fact, those those ancient cults, when they were looking up at the stars, it's not just that, and and it is majestic, but it also, the motions of the heavens, the cycles themselves actually relate to this because the stars rise up out of the east and then they cross across this heavenly realm and then they sink down into the west which is just and then they rise back up in the east in these endless cycles which has to do with it's a it, it's a perfect vehicle for explaining the 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 recovery of the self it also has to do with our you know sinking down into the material realm when the stars they're up in the you know ether up there mm-hmm. up in the the upper realms of fire and air they're in the spiritual realm but then they sink down into the earth or into the water into the the realm that we're in in the body the physical body which is made out of earth and water or clay in most of the myths it's described that way that is like the divine spark coming down into the physical realm well we actually see it the stars, when we're looking up into the sky, we're not just looking at something that's beautiful. We're actually looking out into something that's infinite. So it's a way of depicting the infinite realm, but we are kind of the the melding, the meeting place of infinite and finite. And I think you guys have had Laird Hamilton, uh, not Laird Hamilton, the surfer, Laird uh, <laughs> Laird, Scranton. Laird, Scranton, yeah. Laird Scranton on. You should have Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer, yeah, that'd too. That'd be but, awesome, uh, too. <laughs> Hell yeah, what? But Laird Scranton talks about, well, you know, the Dogen in their myths are are talking about humanity is where the infinite meets up with the finite. It's like a beautiful blending of the infinite and the finite. And the and the myths are are saying that's exactly what all the myths are saying, not just the ancient wisdom preserved by the Dogen. But that's what we're seeing with the stars. We're seeing stars rising up out of the finite realm, the earth, up into the infinite realm for a time, down into the finite realm, and they cycle. So it's a uh, whoever came up with this system was just beyond uh advanced. It's just mind-boggling actually the the layers of meaning and the the part about recovering your higher self I think is a central message of what they're teaching, but it actually has layer after layer after layer of of message are incorporated in the myths
0: yeah his main thing or hypothesis is that there's the material and immaterial and they keep getting closer and closer and then you start to see maybe a golden age when they're at their closest point and then they start to drift off again and you know that's where you get maybe like the yuga cycles and stuff like that
1: Right, yeah, that's the, bi- uh, the binary star theory, that maybe we're in a binary, which I think is a very, uh, very important subject as well. Um, I'm, again, agnostic as to the the shape of the solar system, uh, whether it is a binary or not, but I think there's a lot of good evidence. So my friend Walter Cruttenden talks, he has the Binary Research Institute. The very first picture that was on the first slide was at the Conference on Procession and Ancient Knowledge that Walter Crutenden and his family and friends put together every couple of years. So uh, that that is one, uh, one researcher who's talking about a binary. Another is Simon Shack. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Schack, but he talks about the evidence that the uh, sun is part of a binary system. And uh, all these myths... Uh, well, right, I mean, yeah, we, cycles we know in Neptune work.
0: and Uranus there's something tugging on their orbits they don't know what it is they think it's some object that's outside of our our view but i mean what so do you think that um it's this it's something that's at the outer edge of our solar system or it was binary and now it's not or i mean what is your take on it
1: yeah like i said i'm not i'm i'm not uh, dogmatic as to what it is because the the system that i'm talking about works for the stars and planets and cycles as we see them now what's causing those cycles um, how you interpret that evidence is very um contentious okay mm-hmm. and there's some evidence that the kepler model that the copernican keplerian model that we've been taught as hey we've got it all solved here there's some evidence that actually is anomalous to that 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 shows that maybe there may be some problems with the kepler and you're talking about okay maybe some of the orbits of uh you know the outer planets appear to be being tugged on something um there's there's uh, anomalies with the parallaxes that we observe with the stars so these are uh these are really important topics
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like i said the the simon shack um model that he has is a binary where the sun and Mars are actually in a binary relationship, which is at first quite startling, but he argues that uh that the relationships are actually similar to the relationships that we see with the the Sirius system. So and there's some other arguments. So anyway, I don't want to get too off into a sure. I'm quite open-minded as to what the model is. Um uh, I'm quite positive that the Earth is a sphere. <laughs> I've written a blog post about that, but
0: uh we're but how how, how those all
1: how those are all circling out there, is a very interesting and uh, thought-provoking and important subject. But I don't want sure. I to. I, I, right Maybe now can come I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm open that. On one. that. Yeah. I'm not the expert. That's not my area of expertise. But anyway, I do have a whole bunch of uh, material for people who, you know, like you said, it seems like there's something to what you're saying. <laughs> on the uh, website, I've got like dozens of videos i have actually been doing a blog since 2011. So there's over 1,200 posts nice. uh, that you can check out. There's all my books you can see in the book section. You can see some of the content by clicking on the different books and see some sample pages to those. And, uh, if you click on the next one, there's, uh, I've got a YouTube channel, which is, well, there's my What's Instagram. The That's Instagram. Uh, yeah, I've got like twenty followers on Instagram. <laughs> so
0: let's get, it, get I'll some yeah. you. I mean, We got we got <laughs> Go some followers. Let's let's get this yeah. guy some followers on IG already. Come on. And then, uh, do you <laughs> YouTube, post I've like got... a lot of this stuff, like these slides and stuff?
1: I just kind of started getting into Instagram like back in yeah. October, post post start
0: posting those slides. Because I guarantee that... you, you'll you'll start killing it.
1: <laughs> Thanks. And then, but YouTube, I do have you know uh, a, a bunch of videos there that people can check out too. So. Um, so, yeah, that's uh hopefully, you know maybe some people who haven't heard about my research before, uh, if this is beneficial to you, I really urge people who are looking for this to go dig into it. Some people are very kind of opposed to it, and I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to bust into anybody's uh, things that they hold near and dear if uh, to what to, to their identity, but, it, but some people are really looking for this. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm convinced that it's overwhelming amount of evidence. I would say, you know, it's pretty well beyond doubt in my mind, but, um, you know, check it out for yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, and people, I mean, you can't die on any Hill. You just got to keep moving. So, I mean, even if, you, you didn't think that it would be the case or whatever, You just look into his stuff and you know I guarantee you, you'll see a lot of the correlations, obviously, that we've seen here tonight. I'm sure you obviously have a lot more and you've written all those books, so there's a lot of material there. Uh, but yeah, check out his stuff. We have all the links down below the video. Uh, we're going to do a little Patreon segment with him as well, so you can check that out at uh, patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive... Uh, Content and access, and uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we get off here?
1: No, I just really hope that this is a positive message to to people. I think that uh, that stuff that we were talking about, recovering your essential self and trauma, some of the leading psychologists and healers talk about the fact that our addictions and our uh, things like depression, anxiety, Um, self-sabotaging type behaviors actually come from trauma and this division from ourself. And they talk about how important it is to recover that connection. And so the myths are pointing us towards that. And, and I think that's what people, when they're turning to religion, I think that's what they're actually trying to find. And so I just hope this will be you know used in a positive way by people that's why i put it out there
0: absolutely well we always keep it positive on here and we love everybody everybody stay safe out there and um yeah again check out our website mindescapepodcast.com we have everything on there and shout out to brothers of the serpent shout out to grimerica shout out to arthur and uh again we love you all stay safe out there peace see ya